and welcome to an all new episode of Talking Foosball Extra, the Ausstieg edition. My name is Nick Wiltagen, and whenever I want to have some fun, I invite a St. Pauli fan who talks to me, a Werder Bremen fan, about our least favorite club. So you guess what might have happened. Yes, it's Mike Krukemeyer joining me, and the two of us will talk about HSV. How are you doing today, Mike? Oh, Nick, thank you so much for this invitation. I am looking so much forward for this episode. To be honest, it's a dream come true. Truly a dream come true for the both of us. We'll try to treat this topic with the utmost of respect. And part one, we'll be telling you a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes with the board, with the players involved there, and a little bit about the finances and, you know, how HSV has gotten into the mess that they currently are in. And in part two, we'll take a closer look at the scandals that the season has produced so far. And well, actually, there have been a few. So... All of that is to come in a jam-packed episode of Talking Foosball Extra, the Aufstieg edition. Right, here we go. It's part one of Talking Foosball Extra, the Aufstieg edition. We do have an HSV special on our hand. Mike Krikemeyer joining me, Nick Viltang, to, you know, take a closer look at the Red Shorts. And uh, Mike, when I was growing up, Hamburg, they were always called the dinosaur of the league because they were one of the very, very few clubs that always, always, always had played in the Bundesliga. Even Bayern München cannot say that about themselves. But now, HSV have been in the Bundesliga 2 for five seasons now. So tell me, how could... A club that prided itself on having a clock in the stadium that showed how many minutes and seconds and years they had been in the Bundesliga actually drop a division and then fail to come back for five years. Yeah, well, I could own so much money if I would have the correct answer on uh, how they can end this five-year stroll. But we will see. Maybe this will happen in a few weeks. And of course, I do press my thumbs not at all. Well, you might think that it all began in 2018 when HSV was relegated for the first time ever in their history as a football club. But of course, that's not correct. And even the previous years were so disastrous for a club with that financial possibility. So from my point of view, it all began in 2014 when HSV Plus was the big, great plan and when the professional footballers were outsourced of the Eingetragener Verein, so the sport club itself. And this has been decided by the members of the club in an annual meeting. There were nearly 10,000 people in the stadium for that meeting and they decided to do that with 86.7%. So after that, some of the most loyal fan groups left the club, like, for example, the Chosen Few Ultras, and they founded the HFC Falke and started from grassroots level. So HSV was from now on officially a joint stock company and wanted to attack the big clubs. And we're not talking about Bayern or Dortmund, we are talking about the big clubs in Europe. Well, didn't work that well, to be honest. <laughs> in that year, 2014, before that happened, I think this happened in autumn, and uh, they they really were so close to League Two already in that summer. They had 27 points after 34 match days, 
But Nuremberg managed to get only 3 points out of their last 12 games and Braunschweig also lost their last 5 games in a row. So these two ended up with 26 and 25 points, so 1 and 2 points less. It was one of the most ridiculous relegation endings ever in Bundesliga and of course very frustrating if you wanted to stop that damn clock. But I think to this day, 27 points is the least amount of points the team has gathered and managed to stay in the league. It is, definitely. So you mentioned that clock already, this we are here since blah 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 clock ticking in the stadium corner and uh, yeah, to make it worse, they drew nil-nil with Fürth in the playoffs or playdowns at home and they played 1-1 in the return leg in third so no win again but they stayed in the league with 27 points because of this one away goal in third really ridiculous i remember watching that match in a bar in barcelona that the return leg in, in third actually <laughs> what's the better side they would have deserved to win that match but uh, yeah did they learn anything from that season no so after that again they founded this HSV Plus thing, they sourced out the professional footballers, everything should go into Champions League direction and one year later, 2015, they ended up 16th again because they won the last home game versus Schalke who were already qualified for Europe and they just gave it away with 2-0. So Freiburg was relegated, HSV again in the playdowns, this time against Karlsruhe and they scored a late equalizer in the away game in 90 plus one after a very debatable free kick decision by Manuel Griefe and the handball. And uh, yeah, then they scored another goal in extra time in the 115th minute to avoid penalty shootout. So no win again in 90 minutes at least. Still first division. I mean, that season when they started that 2014-2015 uh, season after, you know, barely escaping relegation the season before, they actually went big. I mean, we have to mention that they brought back Raphael van der Vaart, who was a really pricey guy to sign at that point and who was a little bit over the top. You know, things weren't going too well with Sylvie, I took it, back then, but he came back to Hamburg where the magic had started. So they really did the old mistake that they always had done. They went for the big names rather than actually deciding what type of players could fit well together within the squad. And and definitely uh, rumors are saying, and we will come back to Klaus-Michael Kühne later on, but rumors were saying that he just brought back Raphael van der Vaart because of Sylvie. And um, yeah, well, she didn't score the goal at least. I mean, the best decision van der Vaart made that season was that he left that free kick to, uh, what was his name, Diaz? Manuel Diaz? I'm not sure. Diaz, nevertheless. Who said tomorrow, my friend, when Van der Vaart asked for the free kick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, next season was okay-ish, but in 2017, they saved their asses in a very dramatic final. So a late equalizer at Schalke in 90 plus 2 on match day 33 and a 2-1 win versus Wolfsburg at home with a goal in the 88 minute on match day 34 so that Wolfsburg needed to play the playoff games, which they won against Braunschweig. So once again, still first division. And then, yeah, well, in 2018, they were done. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's been years of bad management decisions. And if you want to improve your German, I really recommend the book Der Abstieg, a book by Tobias Escher and Daniel Jovanov, 
published in 2018 after they got finally to second division and it tells you all the really fascinating stories of that time and you keep wondering if they are all insane and incompetent at this club and well they probably are at least the people with the backpack but we did have to be as asher on this podcast to talk about the upstreet so if you haven't listened to that episode which is i think from 2018 actually or 2019, 2020, we do have a long extended version of Tobias Asher talking about the ins and outs of that book. So if you really want to take a deep dive into that period, but we're just barely scratching the surface here, listen to that. Yeah, you can press pause button now, listen to that, and then come back to us. Welcome back. (laughs) Yeah, well, of course, many people said that one year in League 2 might even help the club, and so also the fans decided to make the best out of it and celebrate all these funny clubs like Sandhausen and so on. And for sure, it's just one year. Then Matchday 25 in 2019 gave them a very glorious 4-0 win at the Milan Tour, being 7 points clear of St. Pauli, 12 points ahead of Paderborn. But then the famous Hamburg Derby curse hit them so hard and they did not win any of the following eight league matches, even losing five of them. So their first season in the second league ended up in fourth place. Yeah. So sad. Similar things happened in spring 2020, next year. After match day 22, they were second, six points clear of Heidenheim. On match day 24, they played St. Pauli at home, which were struggling in relegation battle that time. And St. Pauli won 2-0 with goals by Hank Fairman and a fantastic distance strike by Matt Penny. And uh, HSV threw it all away again, including a 3-3 draw versus Kiel at home on match day 30 with the equalizer by Kiel in 90 plus 4. And just one point out of the three last games, two of them at home versus Osnabrück and Sandhausen. And on the last game, their rivals Heidenheim lost 3-0 in Bielefeld, but HSV lost 1-5 versus Sandhausen. So they ended up on 4 again. And, you know, the funny thing about that match is that Dennis Diekmeier actually scored against his former club after having played for them for like 250 matches without scoring a single goal for HSV. And he really celebrated that, yeah. Let's move one year forward, spring 2021. Match day 19 saw them at the top of the league, four and five points ahead of Kiel and Fürth. And on match day 23, they lost 1-0 at St. Pauli with a beautiful late goal by Daniel kofik but after match day 26, they were still second. But guess what? In the end, place four again for a third time in a row. Congratulations. Last chapter, 2022, we all remembered. Finally, the curse seems to be broken. No longer fourth place. This time, they even came from behind and managed to end up third behind Schalke and Werder, winning their last five league games in a row. And they even won the sixth game in a row, 1-0 at the Olympiastadion at Hertha in the relegation playoff. Hamburg media was already celebrating the run to the league where they think they belong. (sighs) But they lost 0-2 in the second leg. And so we are now in the fifth consecutive year in League 2. Hooray! Well, I mean, currently they are still in second, but it's very tight. I think there's sort of like two points between first and third right now. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff. We have mentioned a man by the name of Professor Dr. Wusterfeld or Thomas Wusterfeld, if 
You know, nobody knows if he has those titles. But he calls himself Professor Dr. Vustafel, as it sounds very fancy. Now, remind us, why has he been mentioned so many times in regards or in connection with HSV so far this season? Yeah, well, to be honest, I don't know. Because it would have been better for the club if he would have never been mentioned at all. <laughs> but he came in the board after he bought some shares from Klaus-Michael Kühne. And again, we will come back to him later. And uh, we we could fill an hour only talking about Thomas Wüstefeld. And I think we did that also in previous episodes. But to cut a very, very long story short, just some highlights. So he's the owner of a medical company. And that company was sued for not paying medical products he bought during the pandemic. He might have given money from that company to another one for no reason. And with that other company, which was led into insolvency later on, from that latter company, he then bought the HSV shares. So very creative, at least. Maybe not very legal. Later on, when he was already part of the HSV board, he planned to sue Klaus-Michael Kühne. Because he said that the amount he paid for the HSV shares was not correct and he did not have all the information available. Being part of the HSV board at that time, at least when he started to thinking about suing Klaus-Michael Kühne. So also, uh, of course, when, when you look at it from a media perspective, I don't know where you can get so much popcorn. So it's, it's really fascinating. And when then all this stuff with professor, doctor, not professor, doctor, whatever came up and really the shit hit the fan, he invented the story of the Volkspark Tower, including sh uh, shopping mall and all these fun fantastic stuff to earn some money for the club. And then he gave this story or this idea to the Abendblatt newspaper and they made up this story with a quite fancy picture and so on. No one ever heard of it again, so it was probably just a distraction to not being in the need to discuss his professor doctor things. And when he showed up at the Hamburg Rathaus at the City Hall to discuss the money problems with the stadium, we will come back to that also later, they were just laughing at him and told him to go back home and coming back with Jonas Bolt because he obviously is not the man with a plan. And finally, he needed to leave after, from my point of view, far, far too long. So I think many, many clubs might be in the position to get someone like Professor Dr. Thomas Wüstefeld on board for whatever reasons. But hopefully every single club would get rid of him faster than HSV does or did. So it was really so many weeks and months. You, you could open up the Abendblatt every single day and there was always a new story about him. And uh, yeah, well, from a St. Pauli point of view, it was so, so fascinating and entertaining. I mean, the thing about these types of characters is that they do love to read their names in the press, don't they? So... It's, it's the sort of person who doesn't get that everyone is laughing at them, really. Because some of the plans you just mentioned sounded positively insane. And talking about insanity, Torsten Fink, after he was sacked by HSV, said that the biggest problem at the club was a billionaire who didn't know anything about football, but who got 
into the mix whenever things weren't going too well. And that billionaire he's talking about is Klaus Michael Kuhner, who, you know, 50 plus 1 is odd in place, but Klaus Michael Kuhner, he has had a massive impact on the club, hasn't he? Yeah, he's the big white guy in the background, billionaire, 85 years old already. And he's the owner of the Kühne and Nagel Group. So you might have seen those big containers or cars driving around. And every time you see Kühne and Nagel on it, that's a car or container that belongs to Klaus Michael or Klaumi Kühl, like we call him here. And this Kühn and Nagel group, just side aspect, has still not clarified their role in the time of the Second World War. So, yeah, everything fits to a place. Um, every single time when anything goes wrong at the HSV, you can be sure that there will be an interview with Klaumi Kühl in the Hamburger Abendblatt sometime soon. Most of it uh, on the next day. So, and he, like I mentioned before, he gave away his private pocket money, which is lots of millions. And for example, to get back his beloved Raphael van der Vaart, you mentioned that. And many people said, well, it's not about Raphael, it's more about Sylvie. And uh, Raphael uh, was past his best years. And yeah, Klaumiku also mentioned lots of interesting views on who is the best coach and so on. And I totally agree with Torsten Fink. All this money aside, the HSV would be so better off without Klaus-Michael Kühne, for sure. Right now, uh, Mr. Kühne is, is in a bit of an entanglement with a former professional by the name of Marcel Janssen. I think Marcel Janssen is to the stage still the last German international that HSV had on its payroll. I think the last time he played for the German national team was back in 2013 or 14. But Marcel Jensen, uh, besides being the owner of a line of hygiene articles for men, which is called Le Coq Rock, he's also HSV president. And he and Kuna don't get along, do they? Not really. So it's always a very difficult thing as an HSV president, chairman, whatever, to discuss the role of Klaus Michael Kuna in public, because there is this 50 plus one rule, but even that aside you can of course as the hsv ag so aktiengesellschaft joint stock company sell your shares and there is an agreement with the annual meeting that a certain percentage should not be sold and klaus michael kühne has reached the maximum of that and when he wants to invest more money into the club of course he wants to have more shares and to get this allowed, you need to have the annual meeting and you need to change these rules. And every time someone starts to discuss that, it's really, really difficult. And at least Marcel Janssen made his point really clear. It's not happening. We will not sell anything else to Klaus Michael Kühne. But of course, we are more than happy when he spends his money with us in whatever way. So talking about stadium names, talking about the stadium for the Euro 230. So he was really in the media, not the best friend of Klaus Michael Kühne. So in the end, Klaus Michael said in a public interview, oh, this Marcel Janssen guy, he needs to be sent away. 
And yeah, so after many, many weeks and discussions, Janssen is not anymore part of the advisory board of HSV AG. But of course, he's still the president of the sport club and officially no longer involved in the HSV AG. I'm sure we will have more fascinating details on that in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for more things on that. Right. And to add to that chaos, the city of Hamburg actually bought the stadium ground. You write in your script notes here for 23.5 million euros. And that amount was, you know, meant for HSV to make the stadium ready for the Euros 2024, which is, you know, we're looking at my watch right around the corner as five games are going to be played in Hamburg. I mean, what's happened with those Monetas? Have, have they been put to good use? Yeah, for sure. At least not for Sylvie van der Vaart, but uh, something like that. So, oh, she of course, was we, divine we, on Lutz dance. <laughs> we need to, to say that 2020 was before Russia attacked the Ukraine. And at that point in time, and it was also before the pandemic really got worse, and, and therefore at that point in time, 23.5 million seemed to be a very good deal for that stadium ground. And it was quite okay for the HSV to say, okay, we will refurbish the stadium. We will do everything that UEFA requires for that Euro 2024 and everything will be good. But then the pandemic hit them. They invested this money for players probably contracts, trainers getting sacked and so on. And yeah, well, now uh, it's it's time to, to make that renovation of the stadium and they don't have the money anymore. So surprise. Also, everything now got more expensive. We all see that every single day in the supermarket or at the bakery. And also HSV mentioned that or realized that, that if they now ask whatever company to do whatever with the stadium, it's not available for the amount that it would have been available in 2020. So they at that time thought that it would be okay to invest 10 or 12 million. And now the amount that is in the discussion is more around 40 million in total. <laughs> and it's of course not Hamburg to blame. And it's probably also not HSV to blame, but they got that money at that time. They agreed in a contract not to use this money for the renovation, but to renovate the stadium. And yeah, now they need to do that somehow. They returned to the city and they begged for money again. But, well, the city more or less just laughed at them. And especially on Thomas Wüstefeld who was unable to present any kind of plan. And uh, yeah, well, the end of the discussion is that probably Klaus-Michael Kühne will jump in again somehow. And I'm pretty sure that we will have those five games in Hamburg next year. Great. Additionally, there's 54 million euros of debt. I mean, that is, how critical that is, is really dependent on the cash flow that the club has at hand. I mean, you, you're not allowed to have negative liquidity in terms of the licensing agreements for the DFL. So as long as the club has a positive liquidity, 54 million euros shouldn't be too big a deal for such a big club. 
But anyways, uh, I think we're running out of time for part one here. So let's just leave it at that. And in part two, we'll be returning talking about the on-field stuff. So stay tuned for that. go it's part two of talking foosball extra the Aufstieg edition it's an hsv special with me mike trickmeyer passionate song Pauli supporter and uh, i'm of course nick Viltagen, uh passionate but a brain supporter so what could be more fun than talking about some of the on the pitch stuff that's been going on in hamburg of late or off the pitch involving the players that are supposed to shine on the pitch so what has that bunch been up to of late yeah, well, first of all, we need to say that we cannot discuss all the stories. Otherwise, we would sit here in five hours. So um, there are already so many really great stories from the past. So you might remember Paulo Guerrero throwing that bottle on one guy, insulting him. Or Tony Leistner, who rushed on the stands to beat up a Dresden supporter after that guy insulted his wife and family. So I really don't blame him for that. But this is always happening to HSV players. You also remember the story around Bakary Yatta. And again, I don't blame him. I don't blame the club. They really did everything for him. And it was just a rubbish media campaign from the Bill Zeitung. Has the Bill Zeitung ever been known to do anything like that before? Hmm. Never. Yeah, but this always happens to HSV players. And it really has to mean something. And there we are with the big car crash. Do you want me to explain what happened? Right. I mean, a car crash, it's, it's, this is, we're actually talking about an actual car crash. This is not a metaphor. So <laughs> tell me about it. Yeah, it was a Tuesday evening in Hamburg uh, in February, a road near St. Pauli district and the famous Fischmarkt. Two very fast cars are going for a race within the city where speed limits is, of course, a maximum of 50 kilometers per hour. And in the end, one car hits a bus station and was totally destroyed. Luckily, no trespassers were harmed. The driver gets out of his car. Uh, it was evening around 9 p.m. So there were also some other people seeing him. And then he directly went into the other car. And that car went away. So he was probably not aware that cars have license plates here in Germany, but the police was. So sometime later they, that evening, the police rang at the door of Jean-Luc Dompe and they found him and William Miguel Brancis, who was the driver of the other car, a yellow Mercedes. Yeah, well, uh, of course, Dompe was the driver of that black, I think it was BMW, and he was injured on his hand when they found him. And first, he tried to accuse his girlfriend. <laughs> um, yeah. Classy guy. Well, but that story did not last very long. In the end, they both were fined by HSV for money, but no match ban or whatever. And, uh, well, legal consequences might follow at a later stage. I mean, say what you want about Elaro, Ilya, and Marco Arnautovic, but they at least did their racing on the autobahn, where it's, uh, you know, where speed limits are a little bit higher than 50 kilometers per hour, which is 30 miles an hour, roughly speaking, if you if you do your driving in miles per hour. And additionally, uh, I mean, this was insanely stupid. 
going by how many people they potentially could have injured or killed. You could have killed someone. And, uh, I mean, getting a slap on the wrist, uh, on your injured wrist, nevertheless, by the club by saying, here's a fine, uh, you have to pay some money. Wow. I mean, we're talking about really poor judgment from the club here as well, don't we? Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Should be, but who are we to judge? Right. I've never judged anyone within football. Talking about judges, there is another judge currently looking at a case uh, has an HSV player in a bit of a pickle. The guy's named uh, Mario Vuskovic, and uh, he was once considered to be one of the biggest talents that European football had to offer. And then he rather cleverly decided to, you know, play for HSV. So we've mentioned this on our show before, but walk us through what happened to Mr. Vuskovic and uh, why is he in trouble right about now? Yeah, well, on uh, 16th of September last year, and there was an unannounced doping test at the HSV training. Uh, two months later, 12th November, HSV played Sandhausen, and around that game, it was published that there was a positive doping test result. So Vuskovic was suspended from games and training due to EPO. Uh, HSV applied for a B test and this was also positive as announced on December 15th. Vuskovic and HSV hired some lawyers and they brought up four different reports, all of them stating that the test or how the probe was handled afterwards was not done properly. So the DFB asked for another report by an international expert from Canada, who then stated that the test and the following procedures were done according international VADA protocol. Hmm, still, no verdict up to now. So standard suspension if there is no confession or other mitigating circumstances is four years, which can be lowered to two years under certain conditions. And... Yeah, well, the next trial is on Friday and just what you mentioned in the beginning, he was one of the biggest talents in Europe. Uh, HSV turned down a transfer offer of 12 million euros last summer. Damn it, that could have paid for a quarter of the stadium fixes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They plan to uh, yeah earn this amount and more this summer and now they probably can't do it. <laughs> I mean, his defenders have brought up several reports. And I mean, the Canadian expert says that, well, everything has been done according to the right procedures. The defense put up other witnesses who contradicted that statement. The professor in charge of the doping lab, was it in Saxony, said, well, everything was done according to procedure. But I mean, basically what they're arguing about is how his piss was handled and if it was handled in the correct manner, because it wasn't refrigerated at the correct times and other stuff has been said to be incorrect if i remember correctly so that is the question could his urine sample have been tainted could it have given the wrong answers that is what the defense is trying to well not prove but they try to make it as likely as possible because i mean if there is enough doubt he might get a pass but We'll see what happens, and if he gets suspended, there are still uh, appeal courts that could handle this case. So this case might follow us for some time. And and just to be clear on that, so there are doubts at the moment, and of course, 
it's the job of his attorneys to yeah raise these doubts. But for the DFB, there is a really, really difficult situation because they need to follow the doping protocols. And if an expert from Canada says everything was done correctly, I really doubt that they can release him. But probably we will see on Friday. Exciting times. Talking about exciting. I know that Jasmine, who unfortunately couldn't join us today, usually the voice of reason on this podcast, Jasmine, is a very big fan of Tim Walter. Now, Mike, you're not. No. I mean, you've even offered to drive him personally <laughs> out of Hamburg if he was to leave. And you would be delighted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you follow the press conferences of Tim Walter, you probably like him if he's the coach of your club. Or you think of him as unfriendly, arrogant, and impolite. If, on the other hand, you see his behavior on the sideline, it's pretty much the same. So uh, <laughs> I really don't know why Jasmine likes him that much. But of course, she's more into football and tactics than I am. So uh, she will have her reasons. And uh, well, the point why we are talking about Tim Walter today is, of course, last Sunday. So in the final minutes of their defeat in Karlsruhe, he once again got into an argument with the referees and the Karlsruhe bench. And this, in the end, led to a red card. So he is banned now for the home game against Kiel. And in addition, he has to pay a fine of 8,000 euros. And he said, excuse me, to, to his team, but not without saying, well, everyone who is talking that HSV always plays in the second division, they just don't know that we will play Bundesliga again next year. So good luck on Saturday. I hope that Kiel also read that message. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you've heard those things said before. Now, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, it's quite tight up there at the top of the table. I mean, there's Darmstadt in, on 49 points, and Darmstadt are currently slipping a bit. HSV are in second on 48 points. And then there's the most informed team out of three table toppers right now, and that is Heidenheim on 47 points. Now, Heidenheim actually could have led the table if they'd won their match against Düsseldorf last weekend, which they didn't. HSV lost their match. If they had won their match against Karlsruhe, they would have left the table. And Darmstadt also lost their match. So right now we've got two out of three sides going through a bit of a rough spell. So HSV, what does their road to promotion or you know disaster look like for the last 10 matches? Are there some certain key fixtures that you would highlight as, as being very vital if that dream of you know being in the Bundesliga again should uh, you know come true yeah well it's it's definitely not that easy i would say so they do need to play in dusseldorf it's always difficult they do need to play in kaiserslautern and in magdeburg and they do need to play in regensburg where they struggled a lot in the last couple of years and on the last final match day they need to play in sandhausen and you know there's just one rule in this second Bundesliga, and this is Sandhausen will not go down. If you take a look at the table, they are going down at the moment, so they definitely need some points. And if they need some points on the last match day, I'm sure they will get some. 
and if Diekmeier will score three goals. I don't know. So it's not that easy. And on the other hand, match day 29, Friday, 21st of April. You can all come to Hamburg. There are no tickets left, but they play St. Pauli. And well, yeah, we, we do have quite a run at the moment. So let's wait and see how the table looks in front of that Hamburg derby and see what we can do. <laughs> I think what's going to be key for Hamburg is to actually have a bit of a gap down to third or at least fourth with four or five matches to go. I mean, right now they do have a decent gap down to fourth. It's eight points right now. Yeah. Down to Paderborn, which, uh, you know, I mean, you've seen those deficits overturned before in the Bundesliga too. And, you know, we talked about earlier seasons and how much they led by. And there was a season where they led by, what, seven points, eight points. Yes, you could throw that away with, you know, just two losses in the next couple of matches. But, you know, if they manage to sustain that lead with only four or five matches to go, it's hard thinking that, you know, they at least might get that third place right about now. Yeah, well, I, I, I would assume at the moment that they definitely stay in the top three. But let's say they get third again and then they play, I don't know, Hertha? Probably Werder Bremen. No way. <laughs> as, as things are going. Well, right about now, it could be any side out of... I mean, Hoffenheim haven't turned things around in the Bundesliga, but they actually do have a decent team. I don't know why they're down there, other than, you know, making poor coaching hires. Schalke have turned things around, but still down there. Stuttgart have a decent team, but not a decent coach. And then you have Hertha, who neither have a decent team nor a decent coach. And Bochum... Decent coach, good bunch of lads, fighting club, but probably punching a little bit above their weight when playing in the Bundesliga. So, yeah, but but is there out of these five, and I, I think that's that's the realistic five that one of them will play relegation again. I don't see HSV as a favorite in any of these games. Ah, I wouldn't pick them as favorites against Hoffenheim, Stuttgart, uh, or Schalke. I think. Hertha or Bochum might be the most evenly matched, you know, suit their style of play the most. I mean, yeah, it's going to be very tough. Usually the Bundesliga side wins these matches. And I think the last team that went up from the Bundesliga 2 to the Bundesliga was Union Berlin. Yeah. And they went up against Stuttgart. So Stuttgart might be a good opponent in that one. Yeah, I think it's going to be exciting to see what is going to happen with that club going forward. And I think they'll keep us busy for the rest of the season on Talking Foosball Extra. For sure. I think we can end on that note. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure and delight to have you on. Uh, please do tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Crew, and you can follow my work on the Millantoon podcast and blog. Excellent. Uh, you can follow me, Nick Viltagen, at Norm Musings. You can follow the podcast at Talking Foosball. Make sure to check out our Patreon page where we currently have the Match Day Moment series going. Historic content ahead of every Match Day in the Bundesliga with, you know, all the good stories and anecdotes that the Bundesliga has produced in 60-year-long history. So join us on Patreon. We have a couple of bucks to spare each and every month. This episode has been produced by Aiden Mantool. We'll be back next week with another edition of Talking Foosball Extra. Until then, it is goodbye for now.